welcome to Obey Your Strengths with Gallup Certified Strengths Coach and self-proclaimed strengths geek, Kathy Kirsten. Hi there, strengths fans. Kathy Kirsten here with Obey Your Strengths. Thanks for joining us. Today, I am thrilled to have a conversation with a fellow strengths coach and leadership consultant, Erin Passens from Passens Consulting. Erin, how are you today? I'm doing well, Kathy. Thanks for having me. Oh, I'm thrilled that we were able to connect to do this. You and I have some kindred spirit um, strengths coaching experience with engineers, and we want to talk about it. <laughs> I'm looking forward to it. We do indeed. Yes, yes ma'am. Well, hey, Erin, I ask every client, or every podcast guest to start out our podcast in the exact same way. Tell us a little bit about yourself and then tell us about your top five strengths. Okay, I'm happy to do so. So um, I'm Erin Passens. Uh, I'm a leadership consultant and executive strengths coach based in San Diego, California. Uh, it's very sunny today, as it often is in San Diego. Um, I have been in the business of leadership development and strengths-based consulting for, uh, gosh, close to 17 years now. So um, I actually started my career in this space uh, working for Gallup. So all of you out there listening who know about the strengths-based approach and know Gallup's decades of research around that space. Uh, I was able to really have an opportunity to work with some brilliant minds, researchers, consultants, and professionals uh, when I was at Gallup to, to really build my own expertise around strengths-based development, leadership, engagement, all of that fun stuff that, that really kind of something I'm passionate about. Um, and I was with them for about eight and a half years and then uh, branched out on my own to start my own practice uh, in 2011. Uh, I've been doing it ever since. So um, I, I'm very blessed to be able to do uh, exactly what I think I should be doing what I love to do. So I'm one of those very lucky people who gets to live and, and swim in the world of my strengths on a day-to-day -day basis at work and at home. So I feel very fortunate. Me too. And I think that was um, in our, our initial conversation, we got to meet each other. I instantly picked up on your natural coaching abilities and we had the best conversation. So I'm glad to continue that today on record for the podcast. Tell us about your top five. Oh, thanks. Yeah. So uh, number one is strategic. Number two, positivity. Uh, number three is woo. Number four, relater. And number five is communication. Okay. So we've talked about this duo before in the on this podcast, but the positivity woo, like party and a person. How do you describe positivity woo? Yeah, I, I, I love that combination. I, I call it my energy engine. Um, it really is what helps me, whether I'm teaching workshops or uh, meeting new clients or just just connecting with people. I, I'm endlessly fascinated with people and how they tick and what is energizing to them. Um, I think that the energy side of the positivity for me is um, is a really powerful tool when I'm trying to engage people in a group setting. I, about 70, maybe 75% of my business is in group workshops or facilitation or consulting in some way um, with multiple people. And so I think, especially now with the pandemic, that so much of the work we do is virtual, um, it's hard to keep people's attentions in in a virtual environment. So I think that's one of the pieces of, of feedback I get a lot from clients is like, wow, I, you know, I'm still listening. You still have energy three hours in. That's amazing. <laughs> um, and I attribute that very much to my positivity and woo. And um, don't be fooled. I, I am tired at the end of those, but um, definitely it helps me to, to connect with people and to keep the energy up. And then I think also to, to kind of read people's 
needs, right? So, so what do you need? Do we need to do an interactive exercise? Do we need to pause for questions? Am I talking too fast? Am I talking too slow? I think being able to gauge the, it's probably my communication coming into that as well, but um, being able to gauge the audience and really respond appropriately to what they need is something I, I think I've, um, I have always been pretty good at and I think have honed and developed even further over the years. Well, I love that example of the energy engine. I'm going to keep that in my little, um, my file. I have input in my top my strengths of the file for how I'm going to describe positivity and woo, an energy engine. But here's another combination that you have in your top five that also fascinates me. I've met this combination many times before, woo and relater. Because you know, you know, as a, as a Gallup, uh, you know, junkie, as a strengths junkie, we know that we, we sometimes can describe these two things as being in contrasting, right? Where the yeah. woo, everyone's a friend and the relator, we have very few friends and you've yeah. got both in your top yeah. five. Tell me what the di dynamic of that is. Yeah. Thanks, Kathy. Well, as you well know, you're, you're absolutely right. They, they do tend to, to operate a little bit distinctly from one another. And typically folks who have high woo have low relator and, and vice versa in many cases. Um, my version, I think it, it really is determined by my strategic. Um, it's one aspect of me. It's funny, as much as I have a lot of relationship and influencing talents, my strategic is really the driver among all all of them. It is the one that calls the shots. It's the one that thinks about how to leverage and influence others using those talents. And so I think for me, the that my strategic ability to kind of say, okay, when do I need to engage and push and persuade using that woo? And when are the moments and who are the audiences, perhaps more importantly, where I need to kind of drill down and where I actually want to get to know people on a deeper level? Because as you well know, doing what we do, sometimes you only see people for a few hours at a time. And so the woo is very useful as a tool to engage and energize and, and have fun and connect very, very quickly. But then there are other clients, hopefully most of my clients, that I can connect with on an ongoing basis and really go deep with them and understand their stories and understand their needs. And, um, and, and certainly that applies much more in my personal life as well as the relator side of me is, is I sort of strategically choose who are the folks that I want to go deeper with. Um, and then that is where I really, once I lock into you, I've, I've got my hooks in you and, and you can't get away. So, <laughs> um, so I, you know, my, my best friend I'd known for, you know, geez, 25 years. Um, you know, my husband and I, this is kind of a, a fun joke among my family. Uh, we originally met in the third grade, uh, in grade school. We, we have not been dating since then. Let me be very clear. Um, <laughs> but we've known each other a very long time. I hold on to people, right? That's just kind of who I am. Um, and so that's a big part of my relator. I, I very much enjoy meeting new people with the woo, um, but I'm also choosy about that, especially in my personal life. So, so my relator tends to to go deep, and my my woo tends to to broaden and reach wide. Oh, I love that. You know, I have a the my my poster child, Aaron, which you might be a new poster child for woo and relator. <laughs> my poster child for woo and relator is um, a fellow colleague from Rackspace. And I went to her wedding and I got put at her grade school table. It was a humongous wedding, but I got the lucky seat. I don't know how, because I was more of a like coworker friend, but you could look across the ballroom when we were having dinner and you could see that this little group of people were from elementary school. This people were, these folks were from middle yep. school. She had every place she'd ever worked. I mean, her woo was like, I have a thousand friends and where later is, and I don't let go of them. Yeah. <laughs> it was really fun. 
Anyway, yeah. okay, I wanted everybody to have that picture in their head. Okay, so uh, one thing that you and I connected on, uh, thanks to another a fellow strengths coach, Becky Hammond, is that we both are passionate about working with engineers. And so we both have bring a lot of experience to working with engineers. And when we uh, met, we just sort of had this ideation brainstorming thing of how, what can we record together for Obey Your Strengths? And we talked about how to maximize engineering teams with the strengths language. And so you, I know I'm going to hear a lot of your strategic hat coming out <laughs> in this interview, but uh, let's kind of take it back a, a couple of years. Um, what one fun thing is that you were at Gallup when I was managing the Gallup relationship within Rackspace. While yeah. we didn't get to meet each other, we were on, I guess you weren't on my uh, account team, but it's so cool to think that we were you know, doing the same type of work and thinking about it from different hats, right? From different places. Yeah. And then we both, of course, Rackspace is a, is a technology company, but then you left um, Qualcomm. I'm sorry, you left Gallup and then you did some consulting, right? And, and that's where you landed at Qualcomm. Tell us a little bit about your intro to working with engineers. Yeah, thank you. So, so had dabbled in it certainly when I was at Gallup. You know, I think one of the great things about working at Gallup, uh, as long as I did, is, is I got to have a lot of great experience across multiple industries. Um, mm -hmm. I spent a lot of time with hospitality clients, with financial services, um, you know, a little bit in, certainly in retail and a little bit in, um, in engineering and high tech companies. I think um, more of my experience really got strengthened and deepened when I started going out on my own and, and, and spent a good amount of time uh, working in-house at Qualcomm. And Qualcomm is based here in San Diego. Uh, many people know Qualcomm for uh, representing, at least it used to, uh, Qualcomm Stadium here in San Diego. So people would often say like, oh, you work at the stadium. And I would be like, no, no, I don't actually. Um, they're, they're a huge company, multi-billion dollar company. Uh, they, they have sponsored the stadium. But anyway, uh, a story for another day. But um, Qualcomm, of course, makes the chipsets that go inside our phones. And um, that's kind of where they started and, and have done a whole lot of other things and gone into cloud computing and other things as you move forward. Um, but I had an opportunity to work within uh, what was at the time called their kind of career explorations uh, division, which was an in-house, uh, almost like an in-house consulting firm and coaching firm that that really supported the engineers in thinking about their career development. Um, and so we did a lot of one-on-one -on -one coaching, a lot of group coaching and workshops, uh, a lot of team and leadership development, um, really partnering with a lot of the folks on the learning and development team in, in Qualcomm to uh, support engineers in understanding more about what they do best and how they can allow their strengths to thrive uh, within the Qualcomm environment. And, and just like any big company, sometimes it's hard to know how to navigate, you know, this massive bureaucratic infrastructure as you think about developing your career. So, um, you know, not to mention, as I'm sure we'll get into some of the, the common personality traits of, of engineers, um, yeah. being super wooey and loving networking is not typically top of the list. Um, That's certainly met a handful, but but not typically something that engineers love to do is to network and really be thoughtful and, and strategically wooing, so to speak, um, to be able to, to meet new people and develop their career. So a lot of what our team did was uh, to support them in what can they do, given the strengths that they have, to take ownership of their career, uh, to manage up to their boss and kind of ask for what they need and really be the owner of their future uh, in terms of navigating the uh, the behemoth that was the Qualcomm uh, structure. So that's kind of how we got started. I love it. So you told me this, you said this one term, uh, 
cracking the code on engineers. And you mentioned there are several strengths or, or there's a, a list of strengths really that are very common in engineering. Yeah. You know, it's a very, I'm sure you're asked this question too, Erin. Um, whenever I'm doing any type of strengths training, people raise their hands. And one of the typical questions they asked are, do you see themes in different industries and yeah. groups that you work with? And yes. Absolutely. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. Tell me about cracking the code and, and kind of how you think about engineering. And then let's talk talk about some of the themes. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and just to piggyback on, on what you said a second ago in terms of, you know, themes and patterns, you know, I often get the question similar to what you just talked about, which is, are there differences in gender? Are there differences in oh, yeah. country or culture? Um, and what I always say is, you know, ever so slightly, yes, but more importantly, there are more consistencies in role, right, in the type of job. In industry, yes, but role specifically, right, that tends to be where we see the, the highest clusters uh, of talents, and that makes sense, right? People who have certain talents, especially if they're self-aware, they seek out jobs that feed those talents. So of course, you're going to see some some pretty consistent clusters. Um, so so cracking the code, where, where that really comes from is, you know, obviously, engineers uh, think often in equations, right? They think in terms of data, they think in terms of evidence that supports the decisions that they're that they're making, uh, which of course, is alluding to some of their common themes, which I'll get to in a second. But one of the things I found that was really valuable, especially for the leadership audiences that I worked with, not just at Qualcomm, but even beyond, uh, working with eBay and PayPal and ServiceNow and a lot of really high-tech organizations that um, that facilitate a strengths-based approach, a lot of the leaders really appreciated the fact that StrengthsFinder and, and Clifton Strengths is really rooted in science. It's rooted in data. And so I used to like to characterize for them as they think about leading their teams don't just think about doing what you might think is useful, as many leaders do. That's very natural to say, I'm going to lead the way that I like to be led. Um, but that doesn't work for everybody, right? So how might you use the strengths themes to be able to identify what the unique patterns and needs are for each individual on your team? And I like to refer to that as sort of cracking the code. If you can get good, just like you're cracking a code uh, in writing software, for example, you know, writing code or finding the bugs in code, which is what they're all so good at, how do you apply that same approach to identifying what are the specific things that each person on my team needs from me based on this data that I have from the strengths assessment. And that really resonated with a lot of leaders I worked with and, and even individuals to say, this helps me understand myself better. This helps me understand my team members better and certainly my boss. Um, so I think especially when we could initiate a strengths-based approach in a broader department or division where it wasn't just a one-on-one, -on -one, that really helped understand kind of that interpersonal dynamic to know how do we strategically position people in the right roles and motivate them with the right tools based on the strengths that they have. I have found it to be exactly what you're saying. And I have found myself being valued for the gal who brings it to the team. And it's given, it's hit my significance pretty well. Like, oh man, I am a, well, I am not an engineer and I am not technically savvy. I get to be the strength geek among these geeks. And it yeah. totally makes my day, Erin. Yeah, that's so great. The strength geek among geeks. I love it. That's right. So let's talk about a few of those patterns. I think that we could help crack the code for some potential managers that might be listening to this podcast and thinking about the talent on their team team and how to leverage it, how to manage it. Um, as we have talked about many times, strengths fans, we are all on a journey from raw to maturity of our strengths. And so we sometimes our strengths show up in raw patterns. 
particularly under stress. Uh, and, and that self-management piece, self-awareness and self-management of developing ourselves to be more um, productive in relationships and in our day-to-day jobs through our strengths is what we're aiming for. So let's just take, Erin, let's take a couple of examples. Um, I know one that I see very often in the engineering teams that I've worked with is restorative. I don't know if you want to start there, but I love restorative. What about you? Yeah, no, I agree. I think what I tend to see is is almost in a combination of restorative and or analytical. Um, those yes. two tend to come up quite a bit, uh, certainly more often or more frequently than the global uh, population as measured by the Gallup database. Um, restorative and analytical are top five for Qualcomm uh, and other organizations I've worked with. So definitely in the engineering population, it's about finding bugs right? It's about finding what's wrong. It's a natural affinity to say, I'm going to look at a situation and, and poke holes. Um, and, and there are, <laughs> there are uh, downsides to that, right? In terms of how others receive the way that you poke holes. So that's, that we'll come back to that. But in terms of the talent and what makes people so great in what they do in an engineering role, and again, we're, we're talking more generally about engineers. Obviously, there are probably dozens of different types of engineers, sure. and there might be nuances within those. But I think more broadly, uh, generally speaking, that restorative is truly about uh, identifying and then having a tenacity, a real energy towards fixing those problems, right? Fixing those issues, uh, just being a natural um, analyzer and then problem solver. I see those two show up a lot together and they are very much data driven in terms of how to solve the problem. But then there's this real push to getting it right. And I think that's where I know we may be getting ahead of ourselves a little bit, but that's where I see a lot of the responsibility talent coming in as well, is when you have that trifecta of restorative and analytical and responsibility, there's this real drive for accuracy, for rightness, um, for for doing the right thing, right? So it is that responsible, I, I do what I say I'm going to do, but there's also this real drive for for being precise in the data. Um, And that's what helps a lot of engineers be successful in the roles that they have. And I think where we see it come out interpersonally is where sometimes we, uh, people rub against each other in in maybe Mm -hmm. a not so pleasant way is because Mm -hmm. um, what that can look like, as you well know, Kathy, is a little bit critical, not just self-critical, but critical of others. It could look like a little bit of judgmentalness, right? There's some patterns of that that are kind of, I'm always looking for what I can poke holes in or what's wrong. And so that can come off to others as um, critical or or negative, which is not certainly most people's intention. Um, But I think that's something to manage as they they look ahead at their career. How can they position their questions and curiosity and drive for getting it right? How can they position it in a way that is productive and professional? And And that's that's the, right. And that's the leadership challenge. I think as an engineer thinks about expanding their career and and growing within their career, figuring out the way to deliver or to find holes without tearing down a person or to push for data without interrogation, (laughs) if you're analytical or responsibility is, is being able to know when you've um, solved enough and keep moving forward. uh, Because one thing that you sort of mentioned that that friction that we might get into in teams with that have strong dominances of these three strengths in particular is that perhaps we might move slow and the team doesn't have the appetite or the manager doesn't have the appetite for waiting for the precision, like the fail fast culture that happens to be making its way through tech. (laughs) 
And and these particular strengths don't want to fail. So right. I've actually called a a manager out on his belief system of I believe in fail fast. I believe that failure is is a is a is a teacher, a wonderful teacher. And I said, tell me the last time you let something fail. What, tell me the last time you let one of your people fail. Yeah. And he had a hard time grabbing for the example. And I think that's what. Um, he realized, well, this is where my belief is. And this is how my behavior of my strengths is really driving me. I don't want to fail. Um, I believe that I can study enough or I can research enough or dig in enough. He also has ideation in it and in election, right? So super smart. <laughs> yeah. But in this particular example, and I'm thinking of um, sometimes his, his uh, intelligence like kind of was the undermining factor in, in like letting someone just learn through the experience. So, right. Absolutely. Well, and you know what's interesting, Kathy, is one of the, the dynamics that I see playing into that and almost adding to that challenge is one of the other talents that I don't know that it made it up to top five, but I think it was like six or seven, at least in the Qualcomm database, um, is Harmony. And Harmony, and, and we can talk more about Relator, which is also in the top five, which is connected to this, but Harmony in particular prefers, as you know, peace. It prefers a, you know, no drama. It prefers status quo in a lot of ways. I don't want to rock the boat. I don't want to be difficult. I don't want others around me to be difficult. I want sort of stasis and peace in a lot of ways. And so if I'm frustrated or if I think that something is wrong or if I think that someone is being critical of me or critical of others, I am unlikely to actually say it out loud or express that to anyone. I'm just going to let it go and kind of say, well, let me pick my battles. And this is not one that I want to engage in. So you, you, get this kind of duality of people who are super smart, brilliant in, in many, many cases, um, really kind of digging into the data and wanting to get things right. But then also this, what I often see sometimes is a bit of raw harmony, which is this kind of fear of engaging in a difficult conversation uh, because I might not get it right, right? So those things kind of go together in terms of I, I, I need some tools, and that's a lot of the work that I did at Qualcomm and continue to do, um, is provide people with some tools. What are some words that you can have in your back pocket at the ready to engage people or to ask a question or to open a dialogue that might be uncomfortable? Um, and those are the things that, that a lot of engineers I work with tend to shy away from a little bit. And then when you bring in the relator on top of that, which is consistently historically in the top yes. five, um, yes. it creates this really interesting dynamic. And on, on the plus side, fantastic in terms of team dynamics. What I would often see, and Qualcomm's a perfect example of this, very, very team oriented. A lot of the teams I worked with um, really cared about each other, really connected, lots of great relationships, lots of longstanding relationships, lots of loyalty. Um, what I found though, is that there wasn't a ton of sort of cross-functional team collaboration, not because there was an interest, but because as a relator, you know, I'm focused on my circle, my immediate circle around me. I don't know that other guy or gal, right? I don't, I don't know what they're doing over there. And not only do I not know them and not feel comfortable going to talk to someone new, it doesn't even occur to me to do so, right? It doesn't even cross my mind to say, maybe we should look at what these guys in this other department are doing so that we don't duplicate efforts, right? It doesn't even cross my mind because I'm focused on my insular team with whom I feel very comfortable with. So that's kind of that relator with a little bit of harmony added into that, that again, built really strong intact teams, but a little bit of silos when it came to organizational decision-making and organizational information sharing. And, you know, silos and are a huge challenge in a lot of big organizations, but I think even more so in high-tech and engineering-driven organizations because you have such a dominant uh, relator harmony 
dynamic that leads to um, not necessarily a disinterest in that cross-functional collaboration, but just not even an awareness that that's something that I should go do. Um, that's something that the other guys or other gals should go do, right? <laughs> right. I mean, is it going too far to say it's a blind spot, Erin? 100%. 100%. Okay. I don't think it's going too far. I think I think most of the teams I work with would agree with that. Um, and so, you know, when we talk about how do we move forward through that, how do we how do we navigate that even with this situation? You can't just throw up your hands and say, oh, well, I guess we're going to have silos. What we often would work with teams on is to say, it, if you don't have a, a large sort of cadre of woo and command and communication and those influencers that are so naturally wired to go think about who else needs to know, who else right, can right. we spread this message to, if that isn't naturally within your team, no big deal. All you got to do is figure out what are the specific intentional steps that we need to take to ensure that those messages are being sent. We just have to add one more step to our to-do list and, and build it in. Um, one, one example I can think of is a, a team I was working with who recognized that they weren't really good at sharing information with other teams and they had to work very, very closely with other cross-functional teams. And what they started implementing after they learned more about their strengths and their dynamics of, of what happened is they were able to create this um, almost like a, a Monday morning quarterbacking type of an, an activity after every project they would actually build in an extra day of the project in their in their large project plans to say this last day is for us to get together as a team and reflect on the learning experiences from this project what went well what didn't go so well? What will we do differently? And then share it with all these other teams that we work closely with so that they know kind of here's our analysis or assessment of how things went. And that would help us to get better. It would help others to get better and kind of learn from each other's mistakes and successes as well. And simply adding that one more step was hugely impactful in terms of the way that they were able to connect, not only with the projects that they were, you know, personally connected to, but then also the, the other teams that they worked with. And so it's it's simply about being more purposeful about it. It doesn't mean you can't do it. It just means you've got to push past your kind of natural inability or natural like lack of intention. It doesn't occur to you. So just build it in. And I think that's the case with any blind spot that a lot of teams have is it doesn't mean you can't do it. You just have to be a little bit more um, in, intentional about it. Absolutely. I've met the the flavor of engineer that would push back to that though. And, um, and, and I'm sure you have too. Have you met the flavor of engineer? And I don't even know where to go with it because I'm like, oh, come on, because I'm an influencer. So it's hard for me to say that it doesn't matter. But what they said, it, you know, as you're looking at it, a strengths finder team grid and there is nothing in the influencing yep. for the whole team you know like one or two little things maybe um but not uh, dominance by any means of influencing strengths and i've had the engineer that said you know we don't need to talk about what we're, we're building we just need to build it and show them and i was like well that is such an executor strategic thinker executor yeah, classic. Absolutely. Yes, people need to know what you're building and you need to and you need to go find out if it matters to them that you're building right. it. We you totally need influencers. I love your tactic, your strategy, add an extra day in on the project and be more intentional and purposeful on yep. doing the activities of influencing. We don't have to turn up the dial on those influencing talents that may drain us, but we can be purposeful for a short period of time, get it done, get the value of it, and then revert back you know, to, to fixing things and 
yep. and building stuff. So that's Absolutely. great. And, and what I would add to that is, is not just, you know, get the impact or the value of it, but then measure that impact. That's one thing I would always push back on, on the engineer who pushed, pushed back on me. I would say, okay, great. I hear you. And measure the impact of doing that for the next 90 days and see what happens. And if in fact you find there is absolutely no value in you telling other teams what you're doing or sharing that information, then okay, right? It may not be a good use of your time, but that analytical talent is really good at measuring things oftentimes. And so find a way to measure it. And then you might see there's some impact that will surprise you. If, in which case that will sort of in, instill in you a desire to want to do it more and better in the future. So I think always measuring that impact uh, with things that are new, especially, uh, can be really helpful. Let's just use this as an experiment, right? It doesn't have to be a permanent change. Experiment with this, see if it works, measure the impact, and then reassess. Ah, uh, the concept of experimentation. It works in so many different ways. Put yes. it to work, managers. That's right. That's right. <laughs> we, we talked about, um, at, it, when we were thinking about engineers, you and I, we talked about emotional intelligence. Mm -hmm. And I know that sometimes when I'm in a coaching relationship with an engineer, and they kind of have a blank look on their face because I'm, you know, going off in my <laughs> maximizer diatribe of how to how to um, manage your team based on strengths. And then I so they delivered some awareness to me, which would help which helped me be more self-aware as a coach, Aaron. But he said one time he said, OK, I hear exactly what you're saying. I'm just having a hard time translating what you just said into how I would do it. <laughs> I was like, yeah. oh, yes. Um because it doesn't, Kathy's woo maximizer does not translate to an analytical restorative. And so as I'm telling him, this is how you coach this person. This is what you do with this person. He was really having a hard time connecting those yeah. dots. Let's talk about ways that engineering managers perhaps can increase their own uh, self, self-aware or emotional uh, awareness or emotional yeah. intelligence is the, is the term I'm looking for. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, there's there's a lot of things, right? And, and what I think I'll, I'll just put out there, as, as I observe it anyway, is I don't disagree that um, some there are certainly some engineers, just like there are in other roles, that, that are sort of um, lacking, perhaps, in some emotional intelligence. But what I think is actually more often the case is many engineers that I've worked with in the past, especially in a leadership role, they have decent, decent emotional intelligence in terms of their own self-awareness. They, they're fairly clear about what they're good at and more often what they're not good at with that restorative mentality, very clear on their weaknesses, right? Where they struggle, and I think you just capitalized on, on that with that example you just gave, Kathy, is the words. They often lack the words to be able to articulate their thoughts or their emotions. Um, so I think even if they are tapped into it, exactly to your point, how do I say that to my team member? How do I say that to my boss in a way that feels authentic and isn't trying to mirror your brilliant woo and maximizer, but doing it through the lens of my analytical and restorative? And one of the strategies that I often encourage engineers to think about, leaders in particular, is to think about turning your assertions into questions. And it's as simple as that, just to say when you are 100% right, and in some cases righteous about how accurate you are about this decision or that decision or what we need to do or what the data shows you, ask it as a question as opposed to asserting it as a statement. And it's a simple shift. Well, it's not simple to execute, but it's a simple concept. 
And I think oftentimes it will open the dialogue for others to recognize you're not necessarily bulldozing them with your idea. You're opening up a conversation about, hey, guys, what do you think about this? And so sometimes even if they do catch themselves asserting, they can follow it up very quickly with that very question. What do you think? Right. Here's what I think we should do. What do you think? And so I think part of it is getting practice in some of those. Um, again, as I, I referenced kind of the, the back pocket phrases, uh, tell me more about that. Oh, that's interesting. How do you think that might work? Right. I think a lot of folks with that analytical restorative, especially in the leadership role, um, get feedback about that kind of highly critical nature because that's just how they think. Their team member comes at them with a new idea and instantly they're thinking about all the ways that won't work, right? Well, what about this? What about that? We don't have budget. We don't have resources. This is not how the data would play out. And how does that make that employee feel? Deflated, dismissed, right? Um, bummed out in a lot of ways. And so I think there are ways that a leader can still ask those questions and still challenge that idea by opening the door to more dialogue like oh okay well that's interesting i always say acknowledge what you heard first don't just jump in with a criticism acknowledge it by saying huh okay interesting tell me more about that those types of little catchphrases that i think engineers can get have again at the ready um, when those situations come up can can prevent or at least delay the instant reaction of what often comes off as criticism um, that can help them to have that more emotionally intelligent management of others, right? I think many of them have the management of self down mostly well. I think it's the management of others that they sometimes struggle with. So those are a couple right. things. Yeah, totally. Uh, thank you. Those are awesome. I love it. I, I, I saw a really good demonstration very recently that kind of added that curiosity piece. Um, you know, and maybe we could talk about this a little bit. I don't know if you're working with any engineering teams at the moment. I have a couple of clients uh, at very large organizations, tech organizations that very easily rolled over into the remote working of COVID. Mm -hmm. However, at this point in time, we are they are fatigued with the lack of human connection. Uh, okay, so where are we? I don't know when this will post, but we're in early November, right? And so I just did a slew of team building uh, strengths 101 type of workshops for a bunch of new employees that have joined the organization the last six to eight months, right? And so I'm hearing a lot of feedback, Erin, of I feel disconnected. And so this... Um, manager that that demonstrated this very beautifully and he has empathy somewhere in his top 10 i mean he has to it's just he, he kind of opened up our team session that day with the idea of guys this is this has been really hard and i can sit around and think that sure you have the highest bandwidth of uh, you know a connection to the internet and your children love sitting you know it's a california team <laughs> they're a yeah, california yeah. team you can tell it like you know, give you a little hint. <laughs> they're in the Bay Area and their kids yeah. are sitting at their dining room table uh, doing school all day. And they, they, I could, he said, I, could, I assume that you, your kids love doing that. And I assume that you love the fact you're not commuting anymore. But I don't know. I don't love all this. So let's talk about it. And he went first, Aaron. And I, I think that like, instead of just asking that empty question that kind of puts pressure on people, especially new employees to say, yeah. you know what, this is not ideal. He went first and said, um, 
my connection's not that great all the time. And, you know, when the fires were happening, because that's about around that time, he's like, and it's really miserable that I've seen an orange sky for four days now. And I'm not really feeling like sitting in this strengths workshop. So thank you. But how are y'all feeling? And they had a conversation. And I thought, wow, this is something that I'm not sure I've ever been a part of for engineering teams. That's so powerful, right? And I think there people are so hungry, especially right now, right? When we're so isolated, physically isolated from our team members. And as much as we may have all day FaceTime on Zoom or whatnot, it's not the same as that energy of FaceTime. Even introverts I have found are kind of saying like, okay, like the first couple months were great. I had some quality alone time. Now I'm tired of it. Right. Um, <laughs> right. And so, so I think... You know, it's it's such a great testament to how much people crave that human connection. And and to your point about that leader example you were sharing, the vulnerability of their leaders to recognize yeah. I don't always have to put a brave face on because my leader is struggling with this too. So if he or she can be really thoughtful and purposeful about sort of laying bare their own challenges and struggles and fears and anxieties as we are all facing right now in so many ways across the country, um, you know, I think it, it can really set the stage for other others to feel comfortable sharing that um, and not feel like they're going to be shamed at all uh, by their team members. I think that's a, that's a big part of what I see is this sort of fear of looking bad. Um, And I think if people can overcome that, especially through their leader setting a good example, um, I think it's a lot easier for them to feel like, okay, I'm not alone here. And that, that really connects the team on, on a very meaningful way. I believe it. It's kind of a a mantra in my head. The leader needs to go first and vulnerability is usually rewarded with more vulnerability reflected back. And so um, if if you take away something, managers, uh, this podcast is, you know, go first, take the step first. Uh, I think one thing that you and I giggled about, so I keep referencing to our energizing (laughs) planning call for our podcast, Erin, but it was a really good call. It's so fun to talk to someone who's woo. Uh, We we laughed about, because I have woo too, but we laughed about how quiet engineers can be in a a training session or in a team meeting. So if I were to be empathetic for a moment, it's number 34, but if I were to be empathetic for a moment, if I were a manager that had to lead a weekly team meeting full of engineers, man, I would feel like drained because they don't tend to talk a lot in the meeting. And isn't this a pattern? So let's talk about the, the dynamic of an engineering team in a meeting type of space and just give, give us a couple of ideas to jazz up our team meetings. Absolutely. Oh my gosh. Well, that, yes, we, you and I did laugh about that as a, the plight of a woo in facilitating an engineering yeah. workshop, right? Especially in person. It's, it's something online because you don't tend to get a lot of feedback online anyway when you do virtual. But when you're in a workshop and you're cracking jokes and thinking that it's just going to land and they're going to crack up and there's just stone face, uh, it's always <laughs> funny to kind of go, okay, well, I hope they're laughing on the inside to my silly joke. Um, but one of the things that I often recommend to leaders is that recognize that, again, going back to my my comment a minute ago about people not wanting to lose face or look bad in front of their team members, that is exactly the same dynamic that happens in a team meeting, virtually or otherwise. And so if you throw out a question or if you're trying to get some brainstorming and some new ideas about a new project that you're working on as a leader, you're going to throw it out to, let's say you have a team of 10 people and probably get some crickets. 
right? A lot of silence, a lot of, you know, deer in the headlights staring back at you uh, or not, um, or staring at their phones as it were. And what I always remind people of is people are in an engineering role or any, any kind of deeply um, scientific or functionally expertise driven job. Um, you know, I work sometimes with physicians and I have a few rocket scientists that I work with. Anybody who has that really deep, almost intellection driven uh, talent are often introverts. It is much more comfortable for them to have conversations one-on-one or one-on-two in small groups. And so as a facilitator of workshops, one of my tricks I often use, and it works great with leaders as well who are running team meetings, is to think about a prompt or a question that you want people to engage in and have them pair up first or or in groups of three, whatever the dynamics are of your, of your group size. And this is really great to be able to use if you're doing this virtually. You can use the breakouts on Zoom um, or WebEx or whatever the, the uh, functionality is. I heard, by the way, that Microsoft Teams is coming out with breakouts in December, so that's exciting um, to be a little easier to use. But breakouts are your friend here, leaders, and set people up into pairs or small groups and give them five minutes or 10 minutes, whatever the time is that you think is appropriate, to discuss amongst themselves what what the the prompt is or what the topic is. And then watch what happens when you bring them back from that breakout, or if you're in person in the future, bring them back into the team and say, okay, time for us to debrief. Notice the difference in engagement because they've already vetted their idea or their suggestion against those one or two other people, and it was safe. And in fact, maybe there was a positive comment that came back to them. So now they know, okay, I can say this out loud and not have fear of being laughed at or eye-rolled or whatever it is. I can say this out loud now. You'll get considerably more engagement once they've had a chance to sort of say that in a smaller group. Um, You're still not going to get a super shitty chatty group for sure, but definitely getting them a chance to hear their voices in smaller groups is always more effective in my experience. Brilliant. I have given the idea to um, perhaps an individual contributor that is wanting to present something in front of their engineering team and and perhaps um, nervous about it. And so I have given the coaching tips of this uh, because there's so much restorative and analytical and responsibility and also harmony. I mean, like it's, it's kind of an interesting dynamic. They might shoot holes all in your data <laughs> or they might not say anything at all uh, or both, right? A little bit of both um, that you, that you could go get a little bit of, go have them test your plan before or have a few people on, on the team mm-hmm. review your presentation in advance. So say, hey, can I, uh, borrow your your mind for a minute and I want to borrow your analytical and your restorative. This is what I'm about to present. This is my update of my project. This is what I'm going to be saying. What questions are already firing off in your mind? And then they get to hear what all those are and then go solve those problems or, or answer those questions before the team meeting. And then also, if, they, if there is a lot of silence and cr- crickets and that's just what you expect, you can plant people. I mean, you can plant questions, y'all. You can say, hey, um, if Aaron and I are in the meeting, I could say, Aaron, do you think, you know, you've mentioned you, you notice patterns because you've got strategic. Do you see a pattern here that wouldn't work in this scenario that, that maybe I'm not thinking about, you know, and you can, or you could have Aaron do it beforehand or let her know, Hey, ask the, ask me a question. I'd really appreciate it. You can do that. It's a okay <laughs> to yeah. ask your teammates, Hey, I'm going to present. Would you mind asking a couple of questions? Uh, just to make sure that we get the conversation going. I know that that probably doesn't come natural at all to engineers, but that totally comes natural to Kathy Kirsten. 
100%. Yeah, brilliant ideas, Kathy. Absolutely. And I think that's that's part of what I see a lot with some of these ideas and tips that we've been talking about is sometimes all they really need is sort of for lack of a better word, permission to go do that, right? Like you said, it's a-okay to be able to ask for help or ask somebody to, uh, you know, engage and ask those questions in the moment, but kind of letting them know that like, it doesn't have to be uncomfortable. It doesn't have to be weird. And in fact, as a bonus, if you know the talent profile of the, of the team members that you have, because you've gone through some type of strengths-based learning, go pick a couple people who might be those unique contributors on your team who have the command, who have the maximizer, who have community there's there's often a handful um, of influencers. So so even if they may not be the, the dominant talent on your team, especially in larger teams, you may have a few folks who are much more comfortable jumping in and just priming them in advance, like you said, to say, hey, pop in there with your questions. I'd, I'd love for you to, you know, help help set me up for success. Yeah, sure. And it's a gift when people uh, feel that they're valued for their talents. And that's what yeah. you're doing. I mean, you're calling their talents up to bat and there's no better uh, way to motivate somebody to participate. So that's Absolutely. awesome. Oh, Aaron, this has been good. We've given people a, a long list of tips and tricks for managing and maximizing their engineering team. Uh, I want to thank you for your time. But before we, we, we wrap this up, I want to know, you know, this obey your strengths concept. Aaron, is rooted in this idea that our strengths have needs. As you know, our strengths have needs. And um, I discovered through my own career journey that my strengths needs, particularly belief and maximizer, need to be met or I... I'm not a happy camper, you know, and I feel very disoriented and I feel distant. So that, that's really, really deep. But um, what strengths of yours, of your strategic positivity, your woo, your relator, your communication, if you were to pick one that really has to be obeyed, which one is it? And tell us why. Gosh, that's such a great question. And I love that that framework too, Kathy, that, that we have to obey our strengths. I think you're 100% right. Um, and I'd have to say, as much as we've spent some time talking about kind of my relationship and influencing talents, I honestly think the the winner in this case that probably has to, to be obeyed more than anything is strategic. Um, I think I am a natural problem solver. Um, I am always looking for the best and most efficient outcome. Uh, my, my friends and colleagues often joke with me that I'm often asking the questions like, okay, well, what are we trying to accomplish here? What's the end game? And how do we reverse engineer, right, where we're going by thinking about the strategic outcome we're trying to accomplish? And that applies, in my case, often to the way I communicate with people. Um, I see my strategic communication working together all the time and in the way of what is the message that this group needs to receive in order for them to be influenced and behave in the way that I hope that they would. I'm constantly thinking about that. Um, in the way that I build my business, I'm constantly thinking about, okay, okay, we just had a pandemic fall in our lap. What are the, all of the possible alternatives that I have to shift my business to 100% virtual in a world where I used to be only maybe 20% virtual? That's a big shift. What, what are my options? And how do I navigate the best and most efficient way to, to get through that? Um, and so definitely the strategic is the one that I think I'm, I am always, uh, I, I always say I, I can't really turn it off. Um, and, and I'm sure that resonates with a lot of people if they think about their strengths. It's we can't turn it off. And I, I'm always thinking about um, how might I figure something out? And especially a, a sticky, messy problem um, is really kind of fun uh, to figure out what the options are, what the best options are, and then go ahead and, and execute that. Oh, that resonates with me. Erin, <laughs> you've been a joy to work to talk to today. Um, how can people get a hold of you? 
Thank you for asking. Um, you can certainly uh, find me on LinkedIn. Uh, my website is simplypassionsconsulting.com. Um, it looks like the word passions, but there's no I. It's just simply my last name, passionsconsulting.com. Um, I've got some uh, blog posts up there as well as uh, a list of kind of workshops and speaking engagements that I often do. And of course, the coaching uh, as well. But um, I use LinkedIn quite a bit, as you might imagine. Uh, my woo loves that as a tool for networking. So um, it's just the, the kind of... Um, uh, slash Aaron Passons all at once on LinkedIn. So you can just find me there. Um, I look forward to staying connected with, with you and your audience listening today as we move oh, forward. So thanks for well, having thank me. you for your time. It was so awesome to connect with you, Aaron and, and uh, strengths fans. We'll see you again in the next episode. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to obey your strengths to learn more about Kathy or hire her for your company or private coaching. Visit obeyyourstrengths.com. You can also find her on Instagram at kathy.kirsten. Obey Your Strengths is produced by Kirsten Consulting, LLC, in association with Game Day Media out of San Antonio, Texas.